0: Welcome to Dry Clean Only Conversations on Fashion and Style. I'm your host, Kristen Cole in New York. I'm a fashion consultant with 20 years experience in the industry as a high concept retailer, fashion director, founder, and buyer. I'm here for all the conversations around the many changes in fashion right now. And that's what I'm bringing to you on this pod. I hope you enjoy Okay, so today, this is episode number 24. It's mid-October. We are having gorgeous, idyllic, crisp, cool, autumn in New York weather, coat weather, my favorite. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Veronique Highland, author, the book Dress Code, a really smart collection of essays centered around the many ways fashion is universal and relates to politics, gender, the environment, and expression. I just loved this book and recommend it highly. The essays span many zeitgeisty topics from Anna Delvey and Theranos' Elizabeth Holmes to politics, colors, and fashion, and It Girls. Her writing is smart and funny and it really works against the pervasive idea that exists in our society, that anything fashion is frivolous or maybe not serious enough for analysis or consideration, which I just love. A lot of good stuff in there. Veronique is also the fashion features director at Elle magazine and is a millennial who coined the term millennial pink. I'm sure almost every one of my podcast listeners has used this color at some point. I am quite guilty as well. Millennial pink is, of course, the mostly retired salmony pink color that seemed to define a generation and the packaging and advertising that went with it. Today, Veronique shares many sharp insights. I'm still wrapping my head around our discussion on slashed up suits, a major trend on the runway. I hope you enjoy some really interesting stuff. It's a super busy time right now, so I'm just going to keep my intro short and jump right in. Here's Veronique Highland of Dress Code, who joined me over Zoom last week from Brooklyn. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to talk to you about your book. Yeah. Thank you so much for getting in touch. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no. So I'm a big reader and I read it right when it came out and I just, it really covers everything I love about fashion, which is, you know, more of these universal psychological, you know, tangents. And I just, Thought it was so smart. When did you write this book?
1: Yeah, well, I got the book deal in March 2020, which oh is <laughs> like a weird time to embark on anything. And then um, I wrote it in 2020. Mm-hmm. And then I like updated it pretty yeah. much up till the point that it got printed. Yeah. So, you know, initially writing it, it was like I wasn't really writing about the pandemic because it wasn't quote, the pandemic at that point, you know, and yeah. and we're still in this point of thinking this is going to be a couple of weeks or totally. months of lockdown, and this is going to be a real anomaly. And then my editor kind of encouraged me to incorporate that into the chapters about work attire and yes. school uniforms and other things that it was yeah. sort of relevant to. So it did evolve a bit just with everything that was going on. Totally. But, you know, it, it did grow out of basically the work that I've been doing my whole career, this whole time, uh, which is writing about fashion in a way that uh, is accessible, hopefully, and is kind of about, you know, not just, oh, who was at this runway show and who was at this party and, but what does this have to do with whatever's going on in the world, whether it's politics or the environment or gender. And that's the kind of stuff that excites me more than just kind of, the insular fashion
0: industry machine. Yeah, yeah. no, totally.
1: And so with this, I was trying to uh, write for even a more general audience, a broader audience, and, you know, constantly gut-checking and saying, is this going to be understandable to people? How much do I want to explain and how much do I want to assume people are going to be able to look up, you know, because I wanted it to resonate not just for people like you, but I wanted someone who isn't interested in fashion to also be able to, Mm -hmm. to pick it up. And I think on some level that's been successful because, So many people have said to me, like, oh, my husband picked it up and was like, what is this? And then started reading it and was like, I never thought I'd be interested in this, but this is interesting. Or people just told me, like, I only read this because I know you. I'm not interested in the subject matter personally, but I enjoyed it, you know, and learned something. So I kind of wanted it to have that broader appeal. And I never wanted it to feel like, you know, because fashion is so still so gatecast.
0: Yeah.
1: I didn't want people to feel like they were left out of it, but it was a little bit of a challenge to write it in a way that is for, you know, I wasn't writing for a fashion audience the way I It is
0: inviting. It is inviting. And I love that too. And yeah, I feel like I want to give this book to so many people in my life, especially non-fashion people, because It is really easy to dismiss fashion, right? And you talk about that a little in the book. And, you know, sometimes it's just like, oh, it's not that important. Or, oh, I don't think about that because I have an important job. Or, you know, and I'm always like, but it, the image, you know, is something that's very... that's telegraphing all the time and something that is affecting your career, especially as a woman and especially the chapter on women in politics. Can we just jump right into that chapter?
1: Yeah. So, you know, that was something where I had just been following you know the stuff that happened within my lifetime i guess so the, the stuff about hillary clinton and aoc and nancy pelosi and some of the other people but it wasn't until i started to research this that i found out how many restrictions there were on what female politicians wore and just what politicians period wore because there was also a lot of stuff about male politicians and how they projected strength through right. what they were wearing, or they were trying to show that they were a man of the people or something like that. So mm-hmm. it really is this very theatrical realm of
0: dressing, but yeah. no one wants to acknowledge that. And then there's see, still, right. It's, you know, you make one great move or one misstep and it can actually cost you an election. You know, I think after this would be after the book came out,
1: but like not that long after there was all this press about, Pearson cinema and Mm -hmm. a bunch of fellow senators wrote to the New York Times saying, you're critiquing what she wears, like you're writing articles about what she wears and not focusing on her achievements in the Senate or something like that. And so there was still this sense of if you write about what this person wears, it's unserious and demeaning to them, even though the way that she dresses did feel very germane to what's going on, because the way Mm -hmm. the way that she dresses projects one image and then her actual politics are completely different. Yeah. And I know she is someone who I guess was once more progressive and slowly moved, uh, you know, rightward, but yeah. uh, she still dresses like this hipster. Yeah, And I do think that's interesting and worth writing about. And the analysis of it was smart, but there's still this idea that, oh, you know, this is hurting all women to talk about this. And this is sexist. You know, so it it doesn't seem like something that has anything
0: in the realm of dress is yeah.
1: In promoting the book or even uh, shopping around the book, there was a lot of like, well, this is, this is too niche. This isn't serious enough. There's no audience. So I even saw it like the stuff that I'm writing about was weirdly mirrored in the whole rollout because I'm like trying to explain to people why they should, should cover something like this. I would hear a lot of like, well, with everything going on in the world today, politically, you know why should we care about fashion, or why should we cover something about fashion, and uh, or why should we be having fashion shows? And I completely understand, you know, yeah. why people might be upset about having fashion shows in in a you know very challenging time. Yeah, but it's like no one says the NFL season is over. We're not playing baseball this year. You know all these yeah. things. Netflix is getting
0: turned off we need to get serious.
1: yeah yeah so it just feels like the the one thing fashion and and perhaps beauty are are the the Mm. the things that are okay to kind of dump on but other ways that people express themselves or hobbies or you know enjoy themselves culturally are are okay so um yeah I mean it, it's really interesting. And I don't envy anyone, any woman in the public sphere in, in politics who has
0: to deal with this very difficult and I think it's you know it's like I don't even know who gets it right but yeah i I was telling you you know I'm such a Hillary fan and I was for so many years I voted for her so many times you know and I'm just like you know such a smart accomplished seasoned woman and it's just like she was always reduced you know down to the pantsuit wild to watch and see and it and, it, and she continues to get you know, that level of scrutiny. And I don't know, it's just, I wonder who, I mean, AOC obviously gets a lot of flack, as you discussed uh, in the book, and she looks phenomenal. But, you know, I just, I don't understand who, who's ever gotten it right as a woman.
1: Yeah. And um, I do think with people who are more like political outsiders who are coming from a non-politics background, or maybe they're activists, you know, you are seeing that change a little bit. And I even think The candidate in Pennsylvania, I think his name is John Fetterman, but Mm -hmm, he was being critiqued for having tattoos, like all of these things that, you know, it's still such a, um, Conservative landscape, um, yeah. Um, but I do think it's changing a little bit because you're you're seeing politics become a little bit less the realm of like you know very wealthy scions of famous mm. families and things like that. Yeah.
0: Um, not entirely, obviously. A quote from your book that I just thought was so interesting. This is from the chapter "Politics and Fashion." You were talking about Hillary. The insanity reached its zenith when women's lifestyle site Hello Giggles, which I'm not familiar with, uh, ran the list 10 throwback Hillary Clinton photos that will make you melt. And one of them was Clinton sitting in the situation room with the president and national security team. I
1: mean, this all grew out of a a story that I wrote um, when I worked at New York Magazine that I think probably did not land where I was trying to talk about how uh, when I, you know, most of the people that I follow are In fashion, they're designers or stylists or something. And there was this sort of rush to make Hillary Clinton a style icon, but it wasn't current Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. It was past Hillary Clinton, always younger. And it was kind of like images from romanticizing her her
0: in her college years. And oh, yeah, for sure.
1: Exactly. In the 70s. And also sort of trying to be like, oh, she was she was so ahead of her time and so ahead of the trends, which I wasn't there. But in the '70s, people just kind of dressed like that. It's not like you know everyone she was dressed like Alessandra Yeah, so yeah. it's like yeah, she you know I can see how this this looks like a Gucci show, but I don't I don't think there's like as clear a through line or yeah. like Donna Karen cold shoulder moment that was great. But you know I would see that everywhere, and I was. Wondering why people felt like they need to make her style icon. They need to make her this aesthetic thing. And they can't Can't just just be a
0: smart politician.
1: And that she's an, you know, an older woman and, you know, she maybe isn't like the world's most stylish person and that's okay. This is, that's not her interest or her thing. And so that's what I was trying to get at. But I think that was not how maybe how it was received. Yeah, uh, you know, I, it was more received as like, oh, she has you know she has no style,
0: and that's not what I was trying to say. I just thought that that was. It was interesting that it became You're also saying why does it matter so much if she has style?
1: Right, exactly. You could look at this with so many different types of women in the public eye, like someone like Joan Didion is so reduced to her style and her totally. image. She's and an American writer. And there are people who don't look like that and then don't get that attention. So it 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 just feels like. This strange thing that's going on that I was trying to parse. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there was even a moment where Rihanna was wearing a t-shirt with a young Hillary on it. So mm. it just became this this zeitgeisty yeah. thing. Yeah, um, and I do feel like there's this thing of trying to make politicians cool or trying to make politicians your friends or. And yeah, I do write about that a little bit, but like that makes me very uncomfortable. And even with politicians that I like, I'm sort of like, well, this person is a public servant and right. they serve us, totally. and
0: we should hold them to account. Well, that was like uh, the George Bush era. You know, it was like he's the kind of guy you'd like to have a beer with, and I'm like. Right. I don't want to have a beer with my politicians. Like, why should I want to have a beer with them? I just want them to be smart, capable and caring. You know, I'm just like, I don't understand right. this um, whole idea. And I, I guess that's what happened with Trump. I don't really understand, but I don't know. Yeah,
1: there was this idea that the person needs to be your friend. And now it's like the person needs to be like Dua Lipa or something. Like they need to be like your favorite pop star. And <laughs> really? it, it, I just find that all to be a little frustrating
0: so today is the last day of the fashion month yes. cycle. what have you thought of the collections
1: so um there were a couple of like smaller designers that I wanted to spotlight because I feel like they didn't get enough attention mm. but there was a noticeable lack there has been a noticeable lack of body diversity the past
0: couple of seasons on the it's runway time I really noticed that on the runway this season I'm like I know mm-hmm. 90s is back but come on the the way yeah. he- figure was really prevalent.
1: And I just find it odd because I've been trying to figure out what's going on there and why there's been this kind of backlash and why yeah. people aren't really being that open about it. And then when you do see plus size models, it's often the same people yes. who, are yeah. who
0: are great models
1: that I like, but you know, just, I would like to see more people and I would like to see size people and stuff. And then, uh, you know, a lot of shows where the clothes are not made to fit the person, even if they are modeling in that, someone their size can't then go out and buy it. So yeah that was something that I noticed. And also I was expecting to see more explicit political statements on the runway in the wake of Roe overturn. Yeah, And there wasn't a ton of that so one show that i thought spoke to politics in an interesting way and that i'm really still thinking about and trying to to parse and and i wrote about it but i'm still thinking about it is um barragon victor barragon's show um because he was sort of playing with this iconography that you don't really see on the runway so much Mm -hmm. um sort of uh kind of middle america i guess yeah looks and trying to talk about politics in an interesting way and he had you know duct taped together pieces with stars and stripes so sort of this idea of something that's a society that's falling apart you know I just thought what he was doing was really interesting and didn't seem to get as much attention as I would have seen Um, actually a friend of mine who is uh, our beauty director was backstage and was like, you have to check out the show. <laughs> I feel like this is something you want to write about. And there were a couple of collections that talked about Roe most explicitly being imitation of Christ, where mm-hmm. they had women with, um, uh, pregnancy, um, you know, uh, what's the word
0: prosthetics yes. uh, wearing yeah. gas masks. Yeah. Uh and they did but- something in Brooklyn. Didn't they-
1: they did a, um, a protest, um, outside Chuck Schumer's house, um, against the oil deal with, uh, Joe Manchin. Yeah. So they sort of had a, you know, climate protest in lieu of a fashion show, which yeah. uh, that was also interesting, but I, I don't know. It, it did feel like a lot of stuff felt not reactionary, but I was just surprised that collections weren't speaking more to this. And obviously not everyone has to make their show about politics, but I just was a, expecting you know that this is an industry that such a big moment for women
0: with so many women in the industry and so many women designers you would think yeah
1: and then you know in terms of like going back to the body diversity two designers that i thought did this well were uh, esther manas who i wrote about for our august issue who does uh clothing that is size inclusive and modular and kind of expands and contracts and fits different body type and then a designer who i had not seen before caroline vito
0: mm-hmm.
1: who is uh was showing in london as part of the fashion east collective okay. and her clothes were meant to showcase roles on the body and mm-hmm. kind of celebrate that which i thought was interesting cool and interesting yeah. so um so those were some of the things that you know stood out to me and maybe got lost in some of
0: the bigger moments. But so many big moments. I mean, for me, I liked comb, I thought was incredible. Prada looked really good. I thought Jill looked amazing, just elegant and simple. And I, I liked how not pragmatic, but wearable and not, you know, too lost to fantasy, but also not too real world, which was my personal critique of Balenciaga, I just was like, it, it was, you know, obviously such a, um overt comment on what's going on, but I feel like, you know, I read the newspaper for that. I mean, this ju- that just felt like a little too spot on for me. What did you think of Coperni, Bella Hadid moment?
1: I mean, you know, I was thinking about, I had been talking to people in interviews about how fashion, how I saw fashion change to accommodate Instagram and how the early days of Instagram shows completely changed the way they were laid out so that it was all about having great lighting and getting the great shot or having a specific moment or something that, you know, everyone would photograph or, or film, and that I hadn't really seen that happen for TikTok yet, but that I assumed there would be more of those kind of uh, short video clip moments. Mm-hmm. And I I think that's, that's maybe what this, was. what this was. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I get why you would want to have that moment and stand out and find a new audience. Yeah. But it felt to me like, Um, It reminded me a little bit of the Shalom Harlow McQueen moment where she was, you know, sprayed by robots. But that to me felt like more of a moment and a statement. And this was just kind of like, here's a cool thing. For yeah. Yeah. And I, that uh, I really uh, like these uh, designers and I've written about them, but I was yeah. just like, you know, if it, if it gets people interested in this collection and in fashion week and stuff, that, that's yeah. great. But like, you know, it does feel like, and I wasn't, I wasn't there for this, but when you are there for some of these moments, it does feel like, oh, this is really engineered for an audience. That's not like the not people here. here. Yeah. Uh, that
0: it's engineered to like go viral. So yeah. yeah, no, it's interesting. I feel like, you know, the critique these days is, you know, fashion is now entertainment. Fashion is content from, you know, my business brain. I'm like, of course I understand. Like you need to market your collections, the best reach, a viral moment. These are all, you know, really good things generally for the brand, but yeah, there is a, a, complicated area that we're in right now where I just sometimes feel like it's so disingenuous that I guess I love so much when there's just like a simple straightforward collection walking and it's about clothes and craftsmanship and tailoring and ideas and
1: yeah it's hard because I think that kind of subtlety doesn't always translate to a screen or to any of these mediums and then when you see the clothes up close there are definitely collections where i'm like oh i wouldn't have known from looking at the photos how great this is but yeah i mean it is frustrating that even with like ad campaigns there's so much stunt casting now because everyone wants to go viral by putting some person that seems totally outside the realm of who would be in a fashion campaign you know, and it's it's just, there's so much to compete with now, attention-wise, yeah. that everyone is just trying to stand out, and sometimes it, it does feel a little desperate.
0: Yeah, and I also just think we're still in... And I don't know what your opinion is, but I still feel like we're in the middle of this kind of like resetting of the table. Like we're not here, but we're not here, so it's just very kind of crowded and messy. So, messy, oh, absolutely messy moment.
1: Yeah, and I remember, um, you know, it was probably in like spring 2020. Myself and uh, Naomi, who works with me, we started interviewing people for a future fashion package, which is now um, something that we've done now three years running. But the first mm-hmm. one was kind of about what's the future of fashion in this world of like virtual shows and Mm will the way fashion operates change because of the pandemic and it was that that weird time where like you could sort of get a hold of anyone yeah (laughs) like people were like yeah I'm not I'm not doing anything people who are always doing something we're not doing anything and um, we had great conversations with people but it was interesting because there were there were all these ideas percolating about how is the fashion system going to change and maybe runway shows could be different and maybe we could do this differently and then that kind of went away for the most part and that everybody just kind of was very eager to get back to normal without questioning what normal really is right. or do you
0: want that Because um, is comfortable and it's an easier place yeah for us all to get back to yeah
1: and I think that one of the things that is interesting to me but also sometimes frustrating to me about fashion is it's an industry built on futurism and yeah. thinking about what are people going to want before they even know they want it and what are people going to want a year or more from now, but then people are still very hidebound and traditional in a lot of ways. So there were these kind of exciting things being raised with virtual shows, which I thought, you know, had potential to reach a lot more people and people were doing interesting and creative things with them. But my impression is that there has not been like this seismic change in terms of how we do stuff. And there hasn't really been a lot of questioning of like, you know, where people are traveling a lot and driving around and going you know like going to all these different locations across the city and there are traffic jams and stuff like environmental impact of that too
0: Um, no the carbon footprint of the of the shows and the fashion weeks and the travel that's still like very much glossed over yeah um the the chapter you have on think pink which is so great or the essay be empowering and virtue signaling and the female gaze that was such a huge moment in 2020 for sure I think it's still going on today when
1: yeah I think so it, I think it's done a little bit a little more, more aware of it subtly and I think now it's a little bit more like you know, there's there are um, still critiques of beauty standards, but that are used to sell you something, or you know, critiques of the way society does something that are used to sell you something. So I I think that's you know still going on with things like body hair positivity, but it's being marketed by razor companies, or acne positivity, but it's being marketed by skincare. You know, all of these these things, um, even like the idea of uh, skin minimalism, which I don't know who coined that, but people saying, Oh, you know, for your skinimalist routine, you need this, this, that, and the other product. So, um, I missed yeah, that, but that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's, you know, definitely still going on. I don't think it's as quite as obvious as it was in the earlier days of like, you have to, you know, buy this to, to be empowered. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I definitely think it's, it's still a thing.
0: Do you follow, there's a Instagram account called the weird Real. Do you follow that? No. It's, oh. It's it's someone who has like curated a feed based on the weirdest things they find on the real reel. Oh and
1: it's right kind alley. of
0: amazing. Like sometimes it'll be like a you know, twenty thousand dollar Hermes, you know, leather tchotchke or like I mean yeah. it's just some of the weirdest things. And they just posted the other day. Dior shirt, the we, we all should be feminists, like the most famous, you know, virtue signaling, empowering item, which is still there with, you know, the quote from um, Adiche I don't know. I, I just, I kind of, in a way, almost can't believe that happened.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the window has, has moved on this stuff pretty quickly because yeah. I think, um, you know, people are a little more attuned to that kind of marketing it's, but it, it's definitely still happening. It's just in a way that's,
0: uh a little i'm going to read a a quote from this chapter in your book the constant striving to make the quote right consumer choices arguably distracts us from the unglamorous real work of changing the world I, i think this is all very interesting you know conscious consumerism and all of this it's like we all have to make better choices but at the end of the day that's not the whole picture
1: Yeah. And I mean, I stopped shopping fast fashion a while ago and I do write about that. And I I was kind of open about how I basically sort of use that as a as a tool for a long time, because I felt like I needed to keep up with trends. And this was like a shortcut to doing that. And then I started to become more aware, but, you know, I get a lot of questions from people about how should I consume sustainably and what should I be doing? And obviously there, you know, things like buying secondhand, repairing, you know, getting shoes resold, things like that. Only buying what you know you really love. I last buy, less, buy yeah. Exactly, which is all great, but it's like, you know, nothing is going to compare to the impact of a fossil fuel corporation or you know a major corporation. So I think The actual, actual
0: work, yeah, against exactly. The-
1: I think this has been offloaded onto individual people. And I I don't know if this is a specifically American thing. I suspect that it it may be, but that, you know, people feel like they can vote with their dollar, but like only with their dollar. Totally. The work is done there. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I just uh, saw a, a post that was like, you know, pictures of, A horrible environmental devastation and then it said separate your recycling you know so there is this sense of like it's all on you to do this stuff and that that stuff is worthwhile and i do it but like you know i i'm not beating myself up over
0: causing the fate of the planet for sure you must be um an observer of fashion uh where do you go to see what people are wearing these days or what kind of environments do you like to observe people in
1: Um, so I am a, I am a big observer. That is definitely true. And I'm a big, um, eavesdropper. Like one of the things I really missed during the pandemic was just overhearing any conversations. And then when I started to like return to that, you know, even with things like outdoor dining, I was like on this high, like just overhearing all this stuff. Um, but in terms of like seeing what people wear, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky that I can walk around and see people in, in my neighborhood and yeah. like, get ideas from that. And then also, like, I get a lot of inspiration on the subway. Yeah. Um, and I remember when we did this project in, in 2020 and we were talking to designers about, you know, everything that was changing during the pandemic and how they were feeling. I interviewed Virgil Abloh and he was saying, like, that he really missed being able to see people like out at restaurants and all these, like the way that fashion was actually coming to life, I guess, yeah. and being able to see it out in the world. And I was like, yeah, I'm realizing that I really miss that too. And Just the idea of like getting dressed, as much as it's great to like dress for yourself, and people were experimenting with that in in quarantine. Didn't go very well. (laughs) Yeah, like but the idea of getting a compliment from someone else, and I feel like I'm the kind of person who um I don't I don't like to take pictures of people without their permission, but like I will go up to people and be like, Hey, I really like your socks, and um I work at L, and can I take a picture? And they're like, Sure, okay. So I'll have you know all these like photos on my phone that I'll go back to, like I this woman who was wearing like. Vermeer socks from a museum store with yeah. like Nikes or I'll notice things like for some reason I'm I'm always I always get on the trains with like the uh, European class trips that are visiting New York I don't know why I guess I live near some some attractions but so I would notice like okay they're all wearing Adidas or yeah. they're all doing this now and like and then the American kids have this completely different style or you know I would just kind of pick up on things like that so I feel like it's a it's a good test run for how people actually dress and not when they're like, oh, I'm gonna be photographed for street style. So I Probably. have to, wear you know.
0: <laughs> There's a great old photography book. Um, I forgot the photographer's name called Exactitudes. Did you ever see no. that? You should look it up. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's um some photographer I basically just put together all of these pages of different, you know, subgroups and okay. yeah, a Rotterdam based photographer. And it oh, is cool incredible how much they all look alike and you know you think you have personal style but I'm always so interested in the way we you know dress like our group whatever that group is at you know different times in your life but it's you know it's like a a group of teenage girls inevitably they're all wearing the exact same thing and it's incredible you're like how did you all Nike blazers or you know it's just do you think that there's any hope for individual style these days? Or do you think it's just all so homogenized based on all of the images we see and social media and how global style has become? Yeah, I mean, I think there was that... The
1: rise of athleisure and also the rise of normcore and kind of all these things that were contributing to erasing the sort of global differences in how people dress and that if you were in like a major capital city, like people would be dressing increasingly the same. And, you know, I think that has changed a little bit. I feel like I've seen people pushing back against that because inevitably when something becomes the norm, then people are going to to try to push back against that. And I did a story uh, a while back about street style photographers who were—they might shoot Fashion Week, but they were primarily not focused on Fashion Week. And they're all people who were trying to work in the tradition of basically Bill Cunningham and mm-hmm. just take pictures of people as they were living their lives and not necessarily outside a specific event. And it was interesting the way that they were talking about, you know, oh, I'm I'm seeing people who don't work in fashion and you know aren't part of this world and they're putting stuff together in a way that's more interesting than anything I see at Fashion Week because that stuff is so planned out and also in some cases people are being dressed by a brand now you know so um I do think that there is there's there's more of that and I think people also like mixing different eras and genres and things together and as opposed to you know oh I'm I'm goth and I'm gonna dress in this one specific way they're like pulling from all these
0: different oh, uh, references from so many eras. Yeah. times, Yeah, no, I, I feel like I have like two different experiences in life with fashion. It was like everything before the internet, because I'm a yeah. gen mixer. When I was in high school and college, there was no internet, there was no social media, we didn't have cell phones. So it was like, you know, such a personal like journey to put together your look, or your, you know, it's just like it was called right. from you had to work so hard to kind of find these influences and yeah now it's just it's so we're just we're fed so many things so it's um yeah so you bring up Bill Cunningham at the end of your book which I which I love which speaks to where fashion is going and you write the next wave of style will not come from an algorithm, which I really hope is true. will come from the kinds of transgressions that Cunningham loved and appreciated, who will explode the concept of what looking good means and challenge our traditional ideas of gender and self presentation. Influencers will start to seem passe. I mean, I really hope (laughs) there's a seed of truth in what you're writing there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll we'll see if that bears out. I am kind of interested in like what will happen. You know, I think influencers will at least have to adapt as I think people who are promoting a certain kind of lifestyle like that feels unrealistic to most people. Yeah. I can't imagine that that's going to continue to be palatable. And yeah. that's why you see a lot of people being more unfiltered or open talking about mental health, talking about, you know, other issues. Yeah. Um because I think this idea of like
0: Trying to emulate this perfect person is a little bit like behind us. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I, I mean, I'm on Instagram because it's just the you know thing I kind of came up with that I'm comfortable on. Yeah, um, everyone else seems like they're on TikTok or all the younger generations. From me, do you think? fashion will stay on Instagram or do you think people will move to TikTok?
1: I mean, so I am not on TikTok. I just see TikToks that like people send me. So I, it's a little hard for me to say. It's just the kind of thing where I didn't want, frankly, I just didn't want to join it because like people I knew who joined it, they would get like so many followers and so many views and stuff. But they would get like really horrible comments. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't like that's not worth it to me. I, I don't that. like whatever yeah. level of exposure, it's not worth it to me. But yeah, I mean, I, I can see that it's migrating a little bit that way. And, you know, I think there are like people on TikTok who are more critical, uh, you know, who aren't don't come from like the fashion establishment and are like just talking about shows in this more unfiltered yeah. way. And you have, you know, um, Mandy Lee, I really like, I think she's so smart in the way that she's dissecting trends on there, you know, I'll watch her stuff. So yeah, I mean, I I think people will sort of like, ultimately, like they burn out on a specific social media app, and then you sort of move to another one. And I've even seen people saying like, oh, well, Be Real is like, has all these implications for fashion and beauty, which I don't really know that how that's going to work, but, um, it is, there is this property. I should probably like coin a term like, you know, Highlands theorem, but mm-hmm. like every social media alg- um, app that comes up, people are like, this is the one where everyone can be themselves. And this is the one that's real. I remember that happening with Snapchat and being like, oh yeah, like this is, you know, more silly and and unfiltered and fun, but like, even with something like be Real, you are kind of like editing yourself for presentation. Like, there's only so much you can do. And to be honest, that feels like more pressure to me because it's like, oh, you have to take a picture of yourself at a certain time. Yeah. And like, what if you're doing something weird? You know, like, yeah. I don't know. So, um, I imagine that seems
0: <laughs> to me. I think SNL just, spoofed be real oh we'll yeah on this last weekend's um episode all very interesting have you read anything great
1: lately so i just started it but i'm reading jenny odell's new book that comes out in march called saving time i was a really big fan of how to do nothing and this is very good so far i'm sure will be great throughout and mm-hmm. it's um i think it's talking about something that I've seen people uh, writing about a lot thinking about a lot, which is you know reevaluating our relationship to work and we kind of talked about how we're in, in this in between time. yeah. Um, so you know, how do we value our time and you know, is it about monetizing it and being productive or what like I just feel like a lot of people have really either reevaluated that or been forced to reevaluate it. Anne Friedman wrote a feature for us that I edited that was about um, like what, because I had seen a lot of things about it. it's the end of ambition, women are giving up on ambition. Yeah. And I was like, I'm interested in in your take on this. And we kind of had some conversations about it. Um, and it ended up being her ideas about how we're not giving up ambition, we're just giving up traditional ambition and channeling yeah. it to something else. Like maybe we care more, care more about caring for our family or our community being tied to a specific position or job. And I've even seen that in fashion where people really used to define themselves by the job or the publication they yeah. worked at. And that was their life. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like I am a very L person. Like I read L long before I worked there. And I, yeah. I feel like they the whole perspective really has always spoken to me. So, you know, it feels like a really good fit, but it's like, you know, I don't define myself as much by where I work, you know, and I just think that people are a little bit more focused on other things, like not chasing this, this status. I have to be an EIC or I have to be famous. Absolutely.
0: No, I, I feel like like 100. percent I used to have very traditional ambition for, you know, success and you know, being at the top of my field and I had a C level position and all of these things were really important to me. And then the entire world changed. I just, yeah, I wouldn't say I don't have ambition, but I certainly don't have the same ambitions. You know, I'm much more interested in being happy and trying new things and I don't know, more open-ended definition, I think.
1: Yeah, and it's also there's like a generational thing with me because I feel like I'm probably the last generation where people felt uh you know like oh you you hit all these markers and you do these things and then like a certain life will be yeah. available to you yeah. um and like a certain stability and that's yeah. just, uh not true um uh, yeah. for a yeah. lot of people anymore mm-hmm. um so i think there's like a reevaluation of that that's at least happening with millennials i don't know if it's happening with gen z at this point because like they weren't raised with those expectations like in a sense they're more realistic yeah so this is all stuff i'm thinking about it doesn't doesn't necessarily have to do with fashion in the most explicit way, mm-hmm. but I have been writing a lot about like fashion and work because this yeah. is just something that I'm interested in. So I have a story in the October issue that's out now where I interviewed Sarah Jaffe, who writes about this. And I also talked to designers. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of because we had seen all of these uh, slashed up suits and kind of yeah. like sexed up suits on yeah. the fall runway. Yeah. Copernic, actually, a great example. Yeah of this and it was sort of unexpected it was like all these very masculine business wear motifs recycled and mixed up and kind of and I thought this is interesting given like everything that happened with me too and everything that happened with women like wanting to leave the workforce and also felt it's like a metaphor yeah yeah and it also felt like these aren't probably aren't closed for an office right depending on what office you work in but it's like their clothes for going out to the club or something like yeah. that. And, um, so Sarah actually said like, th- this is, you know, the suit has always been camp. Like this is kind there's kind of a camp element to yeah. this. I'm powerful. Yeah. And I was like, so these aren't really clothes for work, but they're clothes about work. They're a yeah. way of disentangling all this confusing stuff that's going on. And, you know, I think for women, this idea of like, well, you have to dress a certain way to be respected in the workplace, And what does that mean? And you dress that if you follow those rules and then you're not respected in the workplace, what does that mean? So there, it was just like a really rich text of all this stuff. And that's one of my favorite things that I've gotten to work on because it just tied in with a lot of like, other stuff that I've been interested in.
0: Yeah. No, I love that. Well, that's so great. Well, I'll have to read that Jenny Odell book and How to Do Nothing. She also had one other book that I don't know where it is right now, but I loved it so much. And it well, it oh. wasn't a book, it was her speech that she gave at Harvard Design. Oh, okay. Um, it was her commencement speech in like 2020, 2021. It's mm-hmm. really great. You should definitely read oh. it. Yeah so powerful. It's all about creativity and thinking about it, you know, from a whole different perspective, but I love her writing and I'll, I'll definitely check that out. And yeah, I'm going to let you go. I could talk to you all day about this. I think it's all so interesting. Um, and I really loved the book and yeah, I can't recommend it enough.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah. This is so lovely that you reached out to me and I've, you know, loved everything you've done over the years. And so I was so, I was so excited. I was like, nice. Well, it's funny. I,
0: I'm like, really, you're my first author to have on. And I'm such a fan of so many books. And there's, you know, a fair amount of interesting um, fashion books right now as well. So
1: yeah. I mean. I'm kind of hoping that, you know, because I feel like when I pitched this, like, again, I got so much like, well, this is niche and stuff. And it's yeah. been nice to see like other fashion books coming down the pike, like Alyssa Hardy's book came yeah. out recently. John Luca Russo's book about um, body diversity in fashion, Mm. and hopefully, you know, more um, along the way. But I just feel like there's, I would love to see like, you know, more, I felt like everything on the shelves was either like, you know, here's how to get dressed or a biography of a specific person or like a real housewife,
0: you know, and like that whole section was kind of, a little thin. A yeah. Little, yeah. No, this is great. Well, I wish you great luck with it. And Thank I, you. yeah, thanks for coming on the pod.